Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word has provided a light unto our paths. And it gives us wisdom beyond measure. As you have promised in your word, if we simply ask for it, you provide it for us. And so, Father, we ask for that this morning as we gain knowledge. And to that knowledge, we add self-control and perseverance. All of those things, we ask that you would turn all of that into wisdom that we might use the knowledge and the perseverance and all of those things that you give to us in such a way to bring glory to you. And as your disciple John the Baptist said, may you increase and may we decrease. In Jesus' name, amen. So the Apostle Paul told us that he did not use worldly wisdom when he came to them and he was teaching them, they were blank slates. He, he was able to inscribe on them the very idea of salvation and who Jesus Christ was and how he came and died. That's covered in 1 Corinthians 15 when we get there. And it was a great thing. But, he, of course, there were these divisions which we have been covering. He said he came in weakness, which is sickly or without power. He came in fear. Phobo is the word in the Greek. Exceedingly afraid. And with trembling or quaking is how he came to them. So he was afraid to go and share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we got into the role of the Spirit, how the Spirit searches all things, how the Spirit knows the thoughts of God, how the Spirit is from God, how the Spirit teaches us what to say, and how the Spirit enables us to accept the things of God. And that's in verses 10 through 14. And so all of that is necessary uh, especially when it comes to knowing this, especially when it comes to doing the will of God. We have to be listening to the Spirit. And as I closed last week, I'm saying, are you listening to the Spirit? And there's two ways to do that. The one is the Word. He gives us the Word. And then He will speak to us on the inside. And it will always be concomitant is the word, or right alongside or parallel with the word. It will never veer off from the word. There was, there's never going to be any new type of revelation that comes along. What we have is sufficient for life and godliness. He has explained that. And four times in the scriptures, he has told us, do not add anything to them. In one case, you'll get all the plagues added to you that are in the book of Revelation. If you want to do that, just go ahead and write another book and say it's from God and say it's part of the Bible. Yeah, I don't think you want that. I don't think anybody wants that. But God says his word is sufficient. If we listen to the Spirit, we will be led and guided by the Spirit. And the Lord tells us that in Scripture, if we walk by the Spirit, we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. And with this, it's not just something that we as believers get to choose to do or not. In the book of Romans, <clears throat> chapter 12 it says, therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit, are uh, Spirit of God, are sons of God. So if we follow the Spirit, we are His sons. If we don't follow the Spirit, we don't belong to His family. And that's how we can tell if, in fact, we belong to the family of God. Even in First John, it says, those who love me keep my commands. Also, if you find yourself hating someone else where you can say, I hate them. God says, you can't be a believer if that's what you think you can do. And so that's an exhortation for all of us. But he tells us to yield to the promptings of the Spirit. And again, as I said before, it will never disagree with what his word says so we need to know his word and then we need to listen for his voice but then this division is still taking place and he's taking some time going through this especially as we get to the end of chapter two these marks of spiritual immaturity start popping up we know that there's quarreling and jealousy or envy amongst them who are there they're trying to point out who they think is best we've covered that already and the reasons for divisions are misunderstandings of the gospel message, misunderstandings of the gospel messenger, and misunderstandings of Paul's ministry, at least in the case of Corinth. They misunderstood who Paul was, 
what he was supposed to be doing. That's why they divided into groups. That's why they said Apollos. That's why they said Paul. That's why they said Cephas. That's why there was this division is because they misunderstood what God is all about and how he operates. And they misunderstood the gospel message, really what it meant, and it's to know Jesus Christ and him crucified. And as a result of the mistakes committed by those in Corinth, Paul accuses them of being immature. Now, I, I think I've explained to you, I have a new grandson. He's going to be four months old. And I get a lot of pleasure out of just sitting back. Now, I like to grab him and, you know, like this and make funny sounds and bring him up and down. And sometimes he's not sure. And other times he starts to smile. And when he smiles, you know, it's just great. Uh, he was over at the house a few weeks ago and I was doing that. And he, he let out like a first little laugh. And his mom, my daughter, screamed. She was so happy that he, he laughed. And now he's doing it, you know, not all the time, but he starts to smile. He recognizes he's, he's maturing is what he's doing. He's not just this ball of flesh and fat and you've got to change all the time. And it's a lot of fun. And I sit back and I watch my daughter and I watch my wife, especially my wife. I, I, I watch her when she... She was, has been waiting a long time to talk like a baby and not to a dog. And, and, and now, now we have a baby and she gets to do the baby talk and the baby just loves it. And then she loves it. He loves it. I'm, I'm just, and I love watching that from a distance. The joy that it brings that this little baby, he's starting to learn. And pretty soon he's going to say his first words. I turned to my daughter and I said, have you taught him his first word yet? Are you, are you practicing that? And she goes, yes. And I said, well, what's the first word? She goes, mama. What, what else? You know? And so she's working with him, and it's all good. It's wonderful to see that maturity come along. But if you don't see that, we say it's, it's sad. It's tragic if you don't see that. And we never relate that to our existence as Christians. Now, like I said, I, I'm really happy for all of you who are growing. I, I love seeing that. I take tremendous joy out of seeing people mature in the Lord, knowing that some of the things that are covered, not just in my teaching, I'm, I'm nobody, but in the teaching that takes place here at church, that people are grabbing hold of it and they will remember it for the rest of their lives. They will not let it go. And so they are a bunch of immature believers. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse 1, it says, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly or carnal, mere infants in Christ. Now, this word infant, uh, one of the definitions is not speaking. So how young does the infant need to be to not speak? four months he's not speaking you know so maybe all the way to five months six months sometime in there he's going to pick up mama because that's the first word that he's uh, listening to but it is an infant and figuratively it's a simple-minded person or an immature christian that's what he's referring to a mere infant in christ now infants do they need a lot of care there's some babies you can put them on a blanket and they'll stick their head up and they'll just drop it and stick it up and they'll look around and they'll see colors and they'll look at you and they just kind of entertain themselves. Or if you put them on their back, you give them something in their hand, if they can hold it, they'll, they'll just entertain themselves. Then there's babies who don't entertain themselves at all that you have to pick up and you have to walk around. And if they're 15 years old and you're doing that, you get the picture. But if they're really young, you go, oh, I don't mind. I know it's a little difficult. It's okay. And that's where Paul is. Paul is considering them infants that need great attention, but they're not able to do things on their own because they're constantly blowing it and they needed to be corrected all the time. So Paul says, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, 
For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? Now, again, going back to the illustration of my little grandson, Steele. We were talking the other day about what's his first solid food supposed to be? And, of course, his dad wants to give him ice cream. You know, just put that. Have you guys seen the little video of the baby who gets his ice cream for the first time? I don't know if you've seen it out there, but it's kind of everywhere. There's an ice cream cone with a nice big ball of ice cream on top, and they give it to the baby, and the baby reaches out, and he licks it and takes a second. Then the eyes double in size, and he reaches with both hands and pulls it into himself. It just tastes so good. Now, I don't recommend ice cream for the first food, but we're, we're talking about rice cereal or vegetables or that type of thing, and the consensus has been in the past, you give them fruit. Well, what do you do for somebody who is a believer? What do you give them for their first solid food? And, and what is Paul giving them as far as milk is concerned? Now, we know from the book of Hebrews, the elementary teachings of Christ. It's the things like baptism, laying on of hands, the deity of Jesus Christ, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, salvation, damnation, those types of things, heaven, hell, those are the basics that we get. Now, there's uh, another section that you go to. If you relate this to regular school, if you remember in kindergarten, I don't know if you can remember that far back, but there would be letters, in first grade especially, there would be letters on the wall going across the top of the wall and it would be in printing. It wouldn't be in cursive. It'd be in printing. And you'd see that, and you'd stick your tongue out, and you'd try to write the A, and you'd have the, the old recycled paper with the blue lines and the dotted lines, and you'd put the little case or the small case and the big case. And that's what you do. You start writing that stuff out. That is a program like Navigators. You get Navigators, and you get basic verses, and you learn those things. If no one has ever gone through that step, that means they never really were on milk and they're just jumping to, let's do church. And everybody needs to have the milk first in order to build on that. That's what an infant does, starts with rice cereal or whatever, and goes to vegetables, and then from there, maybe ice cream after that. But you want to make sure that you're feeding the children. And so Paul, he couldn't, he says, give them solid food. They weren't ready for it which is evidenced by the jealousy and the quarreling that has taken place there. And so he wants to make sure they understand that there is this thing called the flesh. And he describes it to them uh, in various ways in 1 Corinthians, but he really takes this to another level in the book of Galatians. I think you're all familiar with this, the works of the flesh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. And this is in the New Century Version. As I've mentioned before, I think every generation needs a new version of the Bible because language changes, it modifies. But here, the way that this is written, it, it's pretty good. It says, the wrong things the sinful self does are clear. Being sexually unfaithful, not being pure, taking part in sexual sins, worshiping gods, doing witchcraft, which is drugs, taking drugs recreationally, hating, making trouble, being jealous, being angry, being selfish, making people angry with each other, causing divisions among people, feeling envy, being drunk, having wild and wasteful parties, and doing other things like these. So he explains those are all works of the flesh. Those are all what an infant would be involved in. And he says, put away those childish things. Make sure you are living a life for Christ. So this is the milk versus the meat. The milk is for those who are not ready for solid food. And everybody should be going through that process. Verse 4 says, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? What, after all, is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. 
I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. Now you see how we all work together here? God is the one who has supplied the foundation. What is the chief cornerstone? I should say, who is the chief cornerstone? It's Jesus Christ. He's the one the builders rejected, and he has become the chief cornerstone of the whole church. If you don't have that cornerstone, the church falls down, and Jesus is it. And along with that are the apostles and the prophets who are the foundation stones. And you're ready to build on that. Where I'm working right now, there's 17 homes going up, and they've just finished the last of the pads. All the pads are up, and they're ready to put the wood going up the sides. But with that pad, that foundation, they have all the pipes in there. They have the electrical that you can fish through there. They have the the bolts to hold down the bottom plate of the walls. They have everything ready to go, but there's no wood yet. And so the foundations are set, and we need that same thing for us. We need to have that foundation. If you can't say basic things like the books of the Bible, I mean, that's, that's a basic thing. You want to know where to turn in the youth group. They're going, where, where do I turn? We have one Japanese foreign exchange student and she always needs a little bit of help. And when she's thinking, she always looks up in the sky and oh, she's, oh my, she's trying to get the language down just right. She's an infant as far as the English language is concerned. She needs help turning in the Bible and where to go. But so do the other kids who are in there as well. Some of them, not all of them. So that's a basic, knowing the books of the Bible. And if you need to start out with the Pharisee tabs in there, that's what we used to call them. You know, you look, oh yeah, I can see where the book is. Instead of just being able to flip through to find where they are, that's a basic thing. Or the Ten Commandments, having the Ten Commandments down and having them down in order and being able to recite them at any time. That is foundational. That is basic material. You want to know some of the basic people out of the Old Testament. Like who would you, who would you say is one of the most important figures in the Old Testament. Now, there are several that you could name, but the first one that you come to, who do you think that is that God writes almost the most about? Moses is one. Abraham. What about Joseph? Joseph prefigured the coming of Christ. Just knowing a little bit about their lives and what they're doing. What about Samuel, who was the last of the judges? who installed Saul, oh, King Saul, and King David, and King Solomon. We should know those people as well. And maybe a couple of the judges, maybe like Gideon, Barak, Jephthah, Deborah. What did they do exactly? What, what happened with them? And what about Daniel? Or Hosea, Joel, Labus, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Isaac, Ryan, Malachi. What about, you know, those guys as well? You know, and what they've done or what they haven't done? Or how about the disciples, the 12 apostles? Do you know who they are and what they did? Did you know who Judas was and the apostle Paul? You know, he wrote most of the New Testament. Do you know anything about him? See, these are the basics. If you can't go through and do the basics, that individual is still in infancy. And we want to make sure we have it down where we can just bring it out at any time where we don't have to open up the Bible and say, let me see about that. That's the purpose of going through the word. Of course, that's part of listening to the voice of God. Now, he goes on to talk about these individuals and how they play in God's plan. In verse 7, he says, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who makes them grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. So Paul is lowering all men, and he's exalting God, and God is the one who causes the growth. Now, you have to ask yourself, are you the one who plants? Are you the one who waters? Or are you the one who set the foundation? Okay, let's take out that one, because we know that's Jesus Christ and the apostles and the prophets. Says that clearly in the New Testament. We are not part of that. So we are either one who plants or one who waters. Now, if you're one who plants, that means you evangelize. You go out and you tell people about Jesus Christ. Whether you do a, speaking in a secular term, do you do the cold calling? When you walk up to them, say, Hi, my name is Bill. I'm with Calvary Chapel Lakeside. I'm here to give you the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you like to hear it? And they'll say, no. Or they'll say, yeah, yeah, tell it to me. 
And if they don't want to hear it, you just move on to the next person. All of us are supposed to do that. That's part of the basics of the Christian faith. All have sinned and fallen short of the God. Uh, fallen short of the glory of God. Um, confess with your mouth, Jesus is the Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. So we need to have that down. So you're either going to be one who plants or one who waters. Now the planter, and he's using these metaphors here. He's using the one who is like the, the farmer who goes out and plants and waters, and he goes on later to use the builder. And he talks about that, but he wants to use these metaphors because the people back then understood the metaphors. Now, if you're going to be the one who plants, it's not just as some president or some presidential candidate just said, it's easy to farm. It's it's not easy to farm. You know, there's this place called Cal Poly San Luis Obispo and Cal Poly Pomona where they learn agribusiness. They learn how to plant a corn kernel. They learn how to do it correctly. They teach what a monocot and a dicotyledon is. And if you don't know that, do you know what you're planting in the field and do you mix crops? The Lord says in his word in the book of Leviticus, do not mix crops. Well, why do you not want to mix crops? And if there's all kinds of wisdom in God's word about that, but that's why the secular universities are set up to teach you how to plant and grow a crop. Because there's all kinds of things you have to be aware of, all kinds of things you have to pay attention to. If you don't, you're going to have crop failure. For instance, if you see a field and you go, I'm going to plant that field with wheat. Really? You're just going to walk out there and cast it out? Can you do that? No. Get a plow. Put your hand to the plow and start plowing. This is the evangelist. The evangelist plows. Now, a lot of times when people go to evangelistic outreaches, people have already been plowing. They've already been stirring up the field. They've already been witnessing. And the person who comes along who's the evangelist, he wraps up the deal. He, he brings them in for God's kingdom, not in a secular sense, but he gives them the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we... Normally, we're plowing the field. We're talking to our friends and neighbors. We're inviting them to the events. We're inviting them to church. We're inviting them to study. We're plowing the field. And remember, Scripture says that once you put your hand to the plow, what? Don't look back and say how easy it was before. If you've never seen somebody plow or never done it yourself, you're not missing much. But it's it's work. I told you what, last time I went to uh, Uganda or the time before that, there's a little boy. He looked like 11 or 12. He's behind two cows, and he's doing the plow, and the father has the whip. And he's whipping the cows, and they're pulling the plow. And all his job is to keep it going straight. That's it. That's all he's supposed to do. And I could tell he was working it. And he was out there all by himself with his dad and the two cows plowing the field. Some of you, that's your job. You're plowing. Then not only do you plow, but when you're plowing, what do you normally hit? You'll hit a rock, you'll hit a stump, and what do you got to do? You got to remove the obstacle. So somebody who needs the gospel, usually there's going to be an obstacle, whether it's there in their own lives because they have placed it there or Satan has come along and placed that obstacle there. You have to work through getting through that. You have to pull out that obstacle. And it's not like you just say, oh, there's a rock, I got, I'm going to give up. The farmers back then, if they gave up, they would starve. And they, they're not into starving, so they had to work hard. So are you plowing a field? Are you removing the rocks? Are you making sure the weeds are pulled? Are you making sure the stumps are out? We are either one of the two. The other one is watering. Now, how do you water? Do you just simply get out there and pray for rain? Is that what you do? Or do you carry a bucket on all the wheat. Is that what you do? Uh, well, I think you do pray for it. But modern day farming, all you have to do is go down to uh, El Centro and you can see exactly uh, what they do down there as far as water. They have these channels. They have to dig the channel. They have to get the water and they have to flood the field. If it's rice or something like that, it's a lot of work. So keep this in mind. For both the one who plants and the one who waters, you're working at it. If you're not working at it, who are you? Are you in Christ? Or are you not in Christ? And by the way, I just want to make sure this is not an opportunity for you to take a guilt trip. I'm not into guilt trips. 
I, I just want to explain what God says is a believer. What God says is a disciple. And we're supposed to do a self-examination. Are we really walking like a disciple? To give you an example of this, another personal example. I have been talking to this guy at a supply house not too far away from here. And he, he always seemed like a really nice guy, you know. And every time I sit down, he wants to chit-chat a little bit. And I'm going, oh, you know. And, and so I'm, I'm listening to him and talking with him. He's telling me about his kids and what they did on the weekend. And I'm just going, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, I got this job to get you. But I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen to what he's talking about. And so then something came up where he said, what is going on around here? Boy, you see the election and the fighting going on there. You see the tornadoes. You see the volcanoes coming up. You, you see the hurricanes. And I go, end times, man. He goes, right? And all of a sudden, there was this connection. And so now every time I go in there, he starts talking spiritual. And I finally, this last week, got to ask him. I said, so do your kids go to a youth group anywhere? He goes, yeah, they do. I said, where do they go? He goes, LDS, over Bay Emerald, over there. I go, okay, Lord, I know why you have me here talking to this guy. (laughs) He wants me to give this guy the gospel. He wants me to explain to him. So everything that I've taught the men on Wednesdays, I go, what did I say about talking to Mormons? And I I have to make sure I have that down. And so that's my job. I, I need to go in. I'm going to be plowing a field. That's what I'm doing with him. And not that I'm anyone special. I'm just doing what the Lord wants us to do, all of us. I just want to try to be obedient. Not that I've been obedient 100% of the time, but I know he wants me to talk to this guy. And so I'll let you know. I'm still talking to Omar, too, the Muslim. We're going back and forth a little bit. And it takes a long time sometimes to plow that field and and to bring some water in and, and just planting, putting those little seeds in, and hopefully they will sprout. And so are you one who waters or are you one who plants? Which one are you? If you can say, I'm doing neither, then I would say, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling because every person who is in Christ will produce fruit. There are seasons that we don't because just like fruit trees right now are they beginning to bud and blossom? They are. But what do you do before it buds and blossoms? You cut. You make sure that you trim that thing back so it produces even more fruit. So every believer will produce fruit. Now, going on with this, the purpose of the maturing of the saints is to build up the body of Christ, the church, unifying us in the faith, unifying us in the knowledge of Christ, and becoming like Christ, as well as, you know, giving the gospel and planting and watering and all of that. But we want to make sure we are on the road to maturing, that we've already had our rice cereal, that we've already had our pureed broccoli or beans, whatever it might be. And have you ever seen a child get a, a new food that they really don't like? They wince and they kind of, it just kind of comes out over their mouth. They really don't like it. But when they get bananas or peaches or something like that, they go, oh, this is yum, yum, yum. And, and you do the airplane thing. And they even make airplane spoons. Have you seen those? You know, they look just like a, usually for a boy, because that's a, I know it's a sexist thing, but you get a plane, and you open up, and they, and they make a game out of it. It's a lot of fun. And so that's what we're supposed to be doing, or what we have already done. Somebody came in with a little airplane with the food on it, goes, here you go, and you take it in, and it's nourishing for you, and you grow. Now, going on with this, I want to make sure we understand the characteristics of the immature Christians, not just the envy and jealousy and not just what was listed in Ephesians chapter 5, but I'd like you to, or excuse me, Galatians chapter 5, but I'd like you to turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, we have some characteristics listed here of immature Christians. Now I'm going to begin in verse 11. 
And he says there are those who God has provided in positions of authority. And when I say positions of authority, that means servitude. That means servitude to God. The, the pyramid is inverted. The more you re- get responsibility, uh, the lower you are on the rung. The more of a servant you become, a doulos, a slave uh, for life. So in verse 11 it says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. So there are a group of individuals that have been ordained by God to go out and provide food, nourishment, for those who are immature. It says in verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. That's the purpose of having all four of those that are listed there, or five, depending on how you translate pastors and teachers. In verse 13, here's the purpose. Until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, when I was talking this last week to the youth group, I explained to them, they are on the precipice of adulthood. They're right in that little narrow section where you're certainly not a child anymore, but you certainly haven't matured enough to be an adult, where you're on your own, you're emancipated, you're doing your own thing. They're right there in the middle. A couple of them, I think they could just fly, they could just take off. But there's several that aren't quite ready, but they're right there. And they are going to be maturing within the next five years. They're going to be maturing. And it's the job in the youth group to prepare them for what lies ahead, especially from God's perspective, so that they can attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, so they can understand what they're getting into when it comes to uh, being inside the church, following Christ, and being mature. So the characteristics going on here in verse 14, and I'll go back and review these. In verse 14, it says, then we no longer then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. So what this is saying is, if they hear one teaching or one controversy, they gravitate towards that and they say, well, what about this? And you say, just come back. Have you ever heard the phrase, the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. And so when you get into Scripture, it's a famous sermon which is out there, but if you get into Scripture, there are all kinds of things that we can split hairs over. Well, I don't know if that's true. Is that true? I, I don't know. And it's fun to go through that, but if you make it a habit where you're always on the periphery, you're always on the edge. You're walking the fence line. You're looking for some out. You're looking for something. It's kind of like the skeptic. The skeptic uh, in philosophy, the skeptic is one who says, how do you know? Well, how do you know? It's not 100% true. And In other words, they go down this road where you can't know anything at all. And, and God wants us to know things for sure, at least as far as being able to know. He wants us to understand that there are certain truths, black and white, and we hang to those things. The things we don't understand, the things that are on the periphery, well, we can talk about them, but they're not important. It's not the main thing that we do. The main thing is the planting, and and we don't do the sowing. The angels are going to do that, but the planting, excuse me, the harvesting, the planting or the sowing, and also the watering. That's our job. That's what we're supposed to be involved in. And it says, if we don't do that, if we focus on these peripheral things, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. In other words, people are going to take advantage of those who are immature. It happens all the time. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up in him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. And so what's being explained here is imagine a human body with its muscles, its tendons, 
everything is fit together. Have you ever seen some of these uh, body things that they have where these are all the blood vessels in the head and nothing is there but the blood vessels or the nervous system? They have dissected a human being to such an extent that all you see are the nerves. Imagine if we were all just a bunch of nerves. Are you nervous? You know, or, or all just a bunch of blood vessels that were walking along. And, and you could see the human being, the blood vessels walking along, but there's no flesh, there's no tendons, there's no muscle. You would say, that is weird. What is this, like Halloween or something? Or, or just a couple of eyes. Remember in Scripture in the Old Testament, a hand just came in and wrote on the wall. If you saw that, would you think it's strange? Yeah, you would. Now, you've heard me say this before. All I am is a bunch of, a couple of lips. I just speak. That, that's it. You know, that's what I'm supposed to do. There's other things that we all do. But for the most part, I'm a couple of lips. Imagine if there was nothing coming in here but a couple of lips and stood before you and all you saw was the lips. You'd say, that is weird. But people provided for me insight and instruction when I was young. They assisted me. Not only did they help me grow my lips, so to speak, but they gave me strength in my muscles. And the muscles were able to keep the bones firm. They didn't come brittle because I was exercising in my faith, and I owe it to them. Now, this couple that discipled me, they were just excellent. And other pastors and teachers, they were all assisting me in growing up in the Lord. I'm so indebted to them. And one day when we get to heaven, I'm going to give them the biggest hug for what they did and how they brought me along and they, they put this fire in my heart. You know, I think God mostly did it, but they came along and had this huge fan and they were just fanning this thing. And I'm going, okay, let's go. Of course, I scorch people in the meantime. But, it, but it's the idea that we work together and if something is not working, try this sometime. If your right arm is your dominant arm, tie it to your side and go a full day with your arm tied to your side. Just try that. See how it works. Well, that's what happens in the body of Christ if somebody says, you know, I'm not into that so much. Why? Because, because it causes me strain. I'm, I'm like a hurt in my muscle. You know, something like that. <laughs> we all struggle. You know, one of the things I told the kids again, I explained to them the story of Joseph and everything he had to go through and how life was difficult and he had to go to prison. He was lied about. He was persecuted. His own family rejected him. I'm sure he cried many times. He was treated unjustly. And I told the kids, your greatest trial has not arrived yet or your greatest trials have not arrived yet. I said, I want to prepare you for them. When you get out there in the world, your trials may be huge. And just be ready. God knows what you're going through. And he will bring the comfort if you turn to him. And so that's the same thing with us. Walk in the Christian walk. It is difficult. It is not easy, but we need to be doing it. It's just like taking care of the infants. Do you want the infant to take care of himself? What does the Bible say about the child who's left to his own devices? It's going to turn out to be a train wreck. Even worse, kill people in the process. And so we're supposed to train up a child in the way that they should go. And when they're old, they will not depart from that way. That is our task. We're either planting or we're watering. One of the two. Now going on with this, we see in verse 9, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Now, what is this? He's, he's using some more metaphors here. And the reason he's using the metaphors is that they understand what the metaphors are. Now, we might use a metaphor like, you are a car. And if you said, a car, back in the time of Christ, they would say, a what? A car. Oh, no, we're a jet. A what? Oh, no, we're the space shuttle. A what? We're an iPhone. We're bright. You know, people look at us, they see all the color. No, you, you can't use that kind of metaphor. So the metaphor that's being used back then is your fellow workers. Oh, I got that one. I know what a fellow worker is. Oh, you are God's field. Oh, we plant fields all the time. Oh, you 
are God's building. Yes, there's lots of buildings. There's stonemasons, there's wood carvers, there's Jesus was a carpenter, you know, all of these things that are there. So that's what he uses as far as a metaphor to communicate the truth. Now, what is the truth about that? We are God's fellow workers. That means God is laboring to get us saved and mature us, and we are also laboring to get people saved and mature others as well as ourselves. Now, and there's two parts to this. Then there is God's field. Who does he say is God's field? Someone else or us? We are God's field. What do you mean I'm a field? Because I'm dirty? What? I'm a field? I have to be plowed? Yes, in a sense. And I am God's building? So Jesus Christ is the foundation in our own personal lives. That's the perspective we'll take first. We are God's building. He is the foundation. We are set on the foundation. And that was set in a field. We are the field. We are the foundation. Our God is the foundation. We are the building. And once all of that comes together, you will have a structure that will be able to be used. If you can't use the structure, it is worthless. He goes on to explain something here. Verse 10, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. And we know the apostles are with Christ, the foundation of the church. We already know that. And someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. Now, in the one case, we are building on it. We are the ones going to Home Depot, renting the pickup, or if you have a pickup with a rack on it, you're getting the lumber, you're getting the two-by-fours, which really aren't two-by-fours, you're getting the two-by-sixes, which really aren't two-by-sixes, you're getting the nails, you're getting all the tools and equipment, the sawhorses and everything, and you're bringing it to your place, the field that you're building the house in, and you're putting it all together. You are doing it. As far as your walk is concerned, who's doing it? You're no longer supposed to be spoon-fed. You're supposed to get to the point where you're feeding yourself. That's the next step, right? You give a toddler a spoon. You give a toddler his one-year birthday cake. Something like that. You give a toddler spaghetti. And, and you, they can eat it, but they're not too successful at eating it well. But you give it to them and you let them try. And so he goes on to say, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hair, straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. So he says, all of us are building... And what are our building materials? Is your building the materials wood, hay, and straw? Imagine if somebody came up to you and said, okay, you got Jesus Christ as a foundation. I want you to go out and get a bunch of straw and build a house. You know, it's possible to do that. Calvary Chapel El Centro is made out of straw bales. Believe it or not, they took these straw bales and they stacked them like bricks and they sewed cables through them, and on the outside they put plaster, and they have this little window on inside. You can see the foundation, and the the insulation rating is like off the chart. You can go down and get R19, R22. Theirs is like R89. It's, It's way up there, and so the cooling on the inside. So you can build a house of straw. You can. But if you're using straw, hay, and stubble, you guys know the story of the three little pigs? Yeah, I don't have to go too much farther on that, right? Sticks and straw, it's not a good building material. Now, there can be special cases, but it's really not good. Even wood, what happens in California? Termites, we got to get this place dented. Termites eat everything. It's not good. And like the house, the house over here, you know how old that house is? 95 years old. Yeah. In five more years, it's going to be 100 years old. This is built in 1945, the sanctuary. And somebody did it. Somebody did it for us. And it has withstood this test of time. You know, there's a window right there. There's another window over there. We could open them up. We didn't even know the door was there. We found it, and we put the door in, the side door. We didn't know that door was in. That was all sealed up as well. We found that. But whoever built this place, they built it to last. Are you building 
a life that is meant to last into eternity? Are you putting your hand to the plow as far as your building is concerned? Now, if you're using gold, silver, and precious stones, how difficult is it to get those building materials? Go out and get some gold and build a house. Go ahead. Just try it. What are you going to have to do? Rob a bank or Fort Knox uh, to get that stuff? Well, gold, silver, you're going to mine the silver yourself? Well, if you want silver to build, you do. Well, what about precious stones? Have you ever been out gem hunting? You ever go to the Del Mar Fair and look at the gems that they have there? Ooh, look at that. Very rare, very hard to acquire. If you're building with those things that are rare and hard to acquire, your building will last. What are those things? Knowing the Word of God, paying attention to the Spirit, going to Bible study, studying on your own, listening to messages, being involved in fellowship, doing what the Lord has asked all of us to do, watering or planting. All of that is hard. It's difficult It's very strenuous. And when Paul was explaining that to these people, they completely understood what was being talked about. I think there's a guy, he's a president. He has a gold front room in his New York apartment in the Trump Tower there. It's all gold on the inside. It's costly, you know, and you look at that and go, oh, that's expensive. Imagine if you built your house with that. Now you might say, oh, it's so, you know, you can name whatever you want to. But we're supposed to build with materials that will last. We're not supposed to build with materials that won't last. Now, what can you compare the wood, hand stubble to? What is that exactly that would constitute wood, hay, and stubble in my life? Wood, hay, and stubble, if you're making friendships inside the church, in the context of the text here, the wood, hay, and stubble is... I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. You are divisive. Even though you're in the body, you're divisive. You are building your life. What you think is full of worldly wisdom, but you're using the precepts of the world. You're not using off your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. You're not using that. Or me, you know, I'm I'm not saying that pointing at you, and I point if I do. There's three fingers pointing back at me, so I'm three times as guilty as any one of you might be. So that's what we do. We, We use things of the flesh to accomplish what we think are spiritual means, our spiritual ends. And we're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to use the gold, silver, and precious stone. Now, have you ever heard the phrase, a faith like gold? If you've ever heard that, how do you get a faith that's like gold, very valuable? You have to go through the smelting process and the fire. You have to be tried and see God deliver you from whatever you're going through. Who wants to sign up for that? Nobody. And so we take the easy route. That's why as a church in the United States, what kind of churches do we have a tendency to gravitate towards? Ones that make us feel wonderful on the inside. And whatever happened to knowing Christ crucified? You know, that's the difficult part. We want to make it all nice and fluffy and flowery. But God says, no, I want you to die. And it's difficult for us to do that. We don't want to do that. The flesh cries out, no. And we're supposed to pick up our cross. What does that mean? It means, if I can use the illustration, you put down a cross, metaphorically speaking, you put your body on it, and you nail it down. And what does it want to do? Come back to life. It does. And you have to kill it all over again. How often do you have to kill it every day? Stay down! And it goes, no! And it comes, and it wants to rule in the life of the individual. And our job is to tie it down, nail it down, bury it. It comes out of the ground. We say, no. And, and what did Paul say? I buffet my body. You know, he, he, he's beating himself up to make sure he follows Christ. Now, is that pleasant? Is that wholesome? No, it, it's not. But that's what God said is required. And we are so bad. He goes, yeah, I have to make sure you die physically because you're not going to heaven like that. You're just worthless to me like that. So I'm going to give you a new body. 
You see how this all works out? And he's pointing at those who are believers inside of the church of Corinth saying, you guys are blowing it. I love you. You're infants and you have to be taken care of constantly. I still love you, but you're immature. You need to go on to maturity. And if imagine if in every single church, anybody who had been there for a couple of years was fully mature. What could be accomplished? Oh, I shudder to think what could happen if we're actually doing that, reaching out to those who are there, studying ourselves. And by the way, this is a long process. It takes your whole life. And as you keep on adding to it, you know, it's kind of like a savings account. You put a little bit in. You don't buy the Starbucks that week, which is 6 7 8 $10. It's going to be that way in another 10 years. And instead of doing that, you put it in the savings account. What happens? It grows with interest. That's what happens spiritually too. You invest yourself in God's word and you grow. And by the time you're 90, you look like Anna Schwarzenegger. Uh, I mean, you're just spiritually, you're just going to be turning to the side. And, you know, people are, metaphorically speaking, coming up and going, look at the muscles on that guy. Oh, he's so pumped up. I want to pump you up. You guys get the idea? God wants you going on to maturity. He wants you just growing in the faith. He wants you to either be planting or watering. And again, it's not a thing that is under duress where you say, this is so hard, he makes me do that. No, you got to sign up for it. It's like the people who volunteer for the military. They sign up for that. They say, I will protect this country even if it costs my life. That's what we should be doing for Christ, even though it costs us everything. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for your word and how rich it is. And it shows us the way in which we are to walk. Father, I thank you for the believers in Corinth too. If it wasn't for their immaturity, we wouldn't even know what it is to walk properly. Not only in this book, but the others that have been delivered to us. Especially by the Apostle Paul, which you used. We thank you for his ministry and how you used him. And we ask that you would do the same with us. In our small way, Lord, it's not even comparable But there are those that we can reach. There are ways that we can become mature as far as the responsibility lies on our shoulders. So help us, Lord, be willing. And Father, we confess that to you when we are not. We know that your grace is sufficient. So help us, Lord. Guide us. Teach us. And we know you will. In Jesus' name, amen.